name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was a week ago last Tuesday. It's early morning, and I'd just gotten to work when I saw a call for my daughter in New York. And I answered she was so distraught that it took a minute for me to know what had happened. What had happened was the sudden death the night before of her good friend's father. Friend is Catherine Scott, whom Mary Olive has known from childhood and with whom she now shares an apartment in New York. Catherine's dad, Monty, Mary Olive told me, had had a heart attack the night before and died. I turned around, left the office, and went to see Monty's wife, Becky. Monty was baptized here last year, and last year we buried his mother from here. But for decades, he has attended Catholic services with his family. When I got to our house, though, Becky said that this is where he should be buried. And so we had a funeral here a week ago this Friday. So what you are about to hear is the sermon from that funeral. It is in part, it is about one man. In greater part, I hope, it is about us all. Morin Montague Scott, Jr. Home is the title of a book I'm reading at the moment, the middle novel in a trilogy by Marilyn Robinson. Set in rural Iowa in the 1950s, it mostly takes place in the kitchen and backyard of an American family. A once full and boisterous household is now much quieter. An old widowed father lives there with a loyal daughter and an errant son. The old man, a pastor, is talking to a friend, another pastor, about this son's surprise return home. He says, It is in family that we most often feel the grace of God. Home for Monty Scott was Texas, our large, rich state neighbor to the west. In Giant, Rock Hudson, Bick, explains to Elizabeth Taylor, Leslie, everything's big in Texas. Home for Monty was big. He was at home in Austin, Houston, and in hotels and banks. Yo-Yo Ma once spent an evening at Monty's Houston home playing cello to support some worthy cause. Monty sidled up and requested Cotton-Eyed Joe, which Yo-Yo knew and played. <laughs> Monty and his sister Susan grew up with standard poodles as protectors. Their names were Voici and Voila. <laughs> of the graces that we feel in families, some of our favorites are administered by dogs. Home was the post-war United States. He was born in 1949, a baby boomer, as was I. Our parents had lived through two world wars and a Great Depression. By comparison, our generation's decades of high times and tribulations have been tame, but it has still been an exciting time to occupy the planet. 
Monty took the booms, busts, and changes as they came sardonically with an air of amusement, but not cynically. Remember how lucky you are, you are, he would say to his children. Good luck is grace incarnate. The central figure in the home, in the novel Home, is Jack, the old man's son, who is now approaching age 40. A ne'er-do-well, he had been away and mostly out of touch with his family for 20 years. Jack had grown up smart, talented, good-looking, and always a worry to his parents. As a boy, he'd play hooky from school and church and been caught stealing. Older, he got a girl in trouble, and he didn't man up to his responsibilities. Raised strictly in church, Jack knew the Bible as well as I do, and he could sing and play the hymns on the piano. He knew all the words of faith, and in a way he appreciated them, but with agnostic detachment. Sitting at the kitchen table with his sister, Jack muses, it is possible to know the great truths without feeling the truth of them. That's where the problem lies, in my case. He expects this to offend his faithful sister, but it doesn't. Graciously, she declines to judge her brother. I think I like the way you're, I think I like your soul the way it is, she says. The thing to notice in this story is the author's love for Jack. Marilyn Robinson, who knows the great truths and who feels the truth of them, gets us to appreciate a character who cannot. That is the kind of love that we do get from friends and family. Above all else, above all else, and this is a great truth, this is the kind of love we get from God. Home is how I came to know Monty. I didn't know him as a pastor. Although he was born and baptized Episcopalian, his love and loyalty to Becky prompted him to entrust his soul to the safekeeping of the Catholic Church all through his adult life right up until this Tuesday morning, at which point it was returned to my pastoral care, still in good working order. So I had known Monty through his children, dad to dad. I was his son Morin's deputy assistant soccer coach. Soccer dads come in a colorful variety of flavors. Monty's sideline demeanor was bemused and philosophical. On Saturday morning, he would rather have been elsewhere playing golf, but here he was on duty, manning up to his responsibility. That was 20 years ago. For the past four years, I've come to know Monty even better through a fellowship circle. It is the fellowship of fathers whose daughters live in New York City and occasionally need money. Monty's bemused regard to that was the same as his approach to soccer. We, members of this fellowship, agree that taking your daughter and her friends out to dinner in New York City is almost heaven. 
One time I arrived at a restaurant early and was waiting for the girls. I told the maitre d' that a bunch of beautiful young women will be coming through the door and he should just send them all to my table because they're with me. I told Monty that and he grinned big. He'd been there and done that. It was early Tuesday morning when I got a call from our girls' New York apartment. I had just gotten to my office a little before 7, and my phone showed a call from Mary Olive, Catherine's roommate. I drew a breath. That hour, I knew before I answered, something bad had happened. What I now know is that Becky Scott had protected Morin and Catherine by waiting all through the night before she called to tell them of their father's death. That night's sleep was her gift to her children. It is in family that we most often feel the grace of God. Death is one great hard truth of life that we all do eventually feel the truth of. St. Paul called this truth the sting of death, which was an understatement. The hardness of this truth is preamble to the greatest truth, which is that in death our lives are changed, not ended, and this change is for the better. This, too, is understatement. I pray that you feel the truth of it this morning. If not now, that you will someday. This is why we worship. In home, Jack's sister had been disappointed in love, another of life's hard truths to swallow. She had not imagined that in middle age she would find herself living with and caring for her ailing father. But here, back at home, she was. Her name is Glory, which she regards with a grain of uncynical bemusement. Unlike her brother, Glory is faithful. In this description of her, you can hear the great truth of why we come to church on days like this for prayer. Listen. Faith for her was habit and family loyalty, a reverence for the Bible, which was also literary, admiration for her mother and father, and then that thrilling quiet of which she had never felt any need to speak. Her father had always said, God does not need our worship. We worship to enlarge our sense of the holy so that we can feel and know the presence of the Lord, who is with us always. He said, love is what it amounts to, a loftier love, and pleasure in a loving presence. She was pious, no doubt, though she would not have chosen that word to describe herself. We'll not use that word for, pi we'll not use that word for Monty either. But do you see? We worship to enlarge our sense of God to a more accurate approximation. In so doing, we come to a larger and more accurate appreciation of ourselves. And today, especially of Morin Montague Scott, Jr. Love is what it amounts to, a loftier love. 
And what is not to love about a man who'd get cotton-eyed Joe out of your 